Hello, everybody. How are you doing today? Hello, hello, hello. Well, welcome back. It's been... It's been a long time. It's been like two weeks, hasn't it? Oh, yeah, it has. Yeah, so uh, if this is your first time listening to this, you really should listen to the first podcast, but just for introductions, I'm Hayden. And I am David. Uh, I am the local Young Life Staff Associate in Rutherford County. And I am the local barista. The one and only. <laughs> David just won second best in Rutherford County. He's feeling kind of hurt the. No, runner-up. <laughs> they call it runner-up. Oh. Uh, see? So it's like... It sounds better than second yeah, best. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's like good effort sport. Like, <laughs> Pat on the yeah, back. you're runner-up. Awesome. I have a certificate and everything. <laughs> oh, wait, but we're not supposed to say until f- the first week in February, so spoiler alert. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> Most of the people who listen to this don't listen live yeah. in Rutherford County, so... Um, yeah, so... Again, this podcast is just uh, me and David sitting in a coffee shop, and we are going through the entire story of the Bible, and right now we're in the section of Genesis, and we're reading it as an ancient Israelite would. Um, and so today, we are going to get to talk about the flood. Mm. How are you feeling about that? I'm excited. I, I like this topic. Awesome. So uh, we're going to do our little segment. Um, David is going to do his abbreviated recap of everything so far. Yeah. You might have to really abbreviate things because you've got yep. three minutes starting now. All right, I got this. So uh, we have barely covered a few chapters of Genesis, so it makes this recap quite easy and interesting. We open up with um, Elohim creating the heavens and the earth, so uh, Elohim space and human space, Elohim being like you know divine beings. like um, We translate the word as God, but it's really like just divine beings because there is Yahweh who we meet, and then there's divine beings that help Yahweh. And so um, Yahweh makes uh, the earth and he creates humans to be images of himself in the earth to execute his uh, will throughout the whole earth by partnering with him. He places them in a garden, a curated space within the earth where they're meant to dwell with him and um, be his priests. They mess up. They eat from the tree of the knowledge and good, of good and evil, which they were not supposed to, um, for their own good. And then they were tricked by the serpent into doing it, who's just kind of this mysterious, rebellious uh, character that we meet. The serpent deceives them. They eat the fruit. Uh, they become full of shame. They realize that they're naked. They try to hide from Yahweh. Yahweh, um, in his mercy, uh, removes them from the garden so that they can't eat from the tree of the life. Of tree of life and exist in that state forever. Mm. Um, says now they're going to have to work the land, they're going to die, all that good stuff. And speaking of death, they have uh, a couple sons, and we read the story where um, you know Cain and Abel, their sons, present offerings to Yahweh, and which is something that would have been super relevant to the ancient Israelite people who were reading the, the story. Uh, so Abel's offering is good. God likes it. Cain's not so much. Cain gets angry and he kills his brother, and then he is uh, banished from the 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 land where Adam and Eve are. And he's like, "Oh no, people are gonna kill me." God's like, "Well, I'm gonna put a mark on you, and if anybody kills you, they're gonna get a lot of times worse." And then we see the expansion of humanity grow, and Cain's line produces these people who are not devoted to Yahweh, they're just kind of worldly, uh, materialistic, and kind of uh, corrupt. And then we see that there's um, Seth, who is another brother. His line starts to grow, 
And uh, I don't remember if it's really made clear that Seth is like the redeeming line or not yet, but that's kind of the contrast we have going good and bad. And which leads us to this next story where good and bad are kind of at a, a climax. Awesome. Yeah. That was two minutes and 25 seconds. Oh, awesome. Hey. Hello. So, uh, Kind of regarding last week, I actually read something in the last two weeks that I found interesting. Mm-hmm. So you remember when we were talking about like Tubal Cain and Jubal and yes, yes. Um, Lamech's sons? What's interesting about that is this is one of the few ancient Near East texts that attributes like metalworking and farming and music making to humans instead of to divine beings. Oh, okay. So other cultures had stories where like, because uh, I, I, I've heard of some where like, angel or like you know divine beings would come and teach them about like making stuff with herbs and stuff but mm-hmm. so they would have stories where metalworking and stuff was attributed to these beings as well mm-hmm. but the bible or the genesis story is attributing it to, to humans interesting yeah that is interesting. just food for thought yeah yeah so uh before we get into our scripture reading um just like everything from the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Um, if you grew up in church, you probably had a felt board of yep. I um, felt board, man. Noah's Ark. And it seemed really happy, didn't it? Yeah, because, I mean, every, you know, it was a bunch of uh, little, you know, white people smiling. Yep. <laughs> yep uh, Noah was smiling. White Noah with a big white beard. Yep, he was, uh, he was he's happy. happy to be on this ark yep. with these smiling animals. All very cute animals, yeah. Mm-hmm. White animals, no. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I, I just want to think, like, I've never really experienced in church talking about the story outside of the context of a children's Sunday school mm. lesson. Yeah. I, I have in the in the context of, like, oh, like, they're going to find Noah's Ark in this mountain. You know, like, it was like, there was, I, I remember there being, like, a quest to find Noah's Ark. Like, they thought that they were going to find this boat, like, up in the mountains somewhere and be like, in Turkey, Proof. In Turkey, right? Yeah, somewhere like that. And be like, you know, so that the Christians could come out of the world and be like, told you guys, Noah's Ark really happened. Here's the boat in the mountain right here. Mm. Spoiler alert. So what's... The boat ends up in the mountain. <laughs> so what, is, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, uh, I mean, my thoughts now? Or... Yeah, your thoughts now. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, I think that's missing the point to try to find. I mean, it'd be cool, I guess. Like, if they found a boat, I'd be like, oh, shit. Like, I'll, I'd be surprised if, if they found a boat up in the mountains. But then I'd be like, hey, like, maybe, maybe, like, this really went down exactly the way that Noah says it did. Because, like, they found a boat. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not, I don't think there's one there necessarily. And I'm not eager to find one. I'm not going to go out journeying, try to find one, put my energy resources into that. What, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, my my two big encounters are in Sunday school, like I said, where it's kind of presented in this, like, cheery, like, it's kind of a dark story to tell children that they just kind of skip over all the really, like, dark parts of it. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, because literally... I mean, I, like, the nursery at my church was, like, the whole room was just painted with, like, Noah's Ark and all the animals. and Right. Like, and you don't think about, like, the fact that that water is, ki- like, killing every single other human. And animal. And animal. Yeah. Like, you don't you don't see that part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the other one is just kind of the elephant in the room is the whole... Yeah, the elephant. The elephant on the Ark, yeah. <laughs> The other element in the room, elephant in the room is kind of the, especially really prevalent now, like we have the Ark Encounter in Kentucky and there's the big debate of um, 
fundamentalists having to prove that it happened exactly the way it was described in the book. And I don't know. I just feel like it doesn't win anybody over by (laughs) trying to fight like that. No, definitely not. Like, I think it's you're not going to engage somebody with the story of the Bible and the person of Jesus by pulling out this flood story and being like, let me show you why this exactly happened the way it did. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So are you ready to read? Yeah, let's do it. Awesome. And Yahweh saw that the evil of humankind was great upon the earth, and every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was always only evil. And Yahweh regretted that he had made humankind on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. And Yahweh said, I will destroy humankind whom I created from upon the face of the earth, from humankind to animals to creeping things and to the birds of heaven, for I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of Yahweh. These are the, are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man without defect in his generations. Noah walked with God. And Noah fathered three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And the earth was corrupted before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted its way upon the earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth was filled with violence because of them. Now look, I am going to destroy them along with the earth. Make for yourself an ark of cypress wood. You must take the ark, you must make the ark with rooms, then you must cover it with pitch inside and out. And this is how you must make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its width, 50 cubits. Its height, 30 cubits. You must make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above. And as for the door of the ark, you must put it in its side. You must make it with a lower, second, and third deck. And I, behold, I am going to bring the flood waters over the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life from under the heaven. Everything that is on earth shall perish. And I will establish my covenant with you, and you must go into the ark, you and your sons and your wife and the wives of your sons with you. And of every living thing from all flesh, you must bring two from every kind into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, from the birds according to their kind and from the animals according to their kind. From every creeping thing on the ground according to its kind, two from every kind shall come to you to keep them alive. And as for you, take for yourself from every kind of food that is eaten, and you must gather it to yourself. And it shall be for you and for them for food. And Noah did according to all that God commanded him. Thus he did. Then Yahweh said to Noah, Go, you and all your household, into the ark, for I have seen you are righteous before me in this generation. From all the clean animals you must take for yourself seven pairs, a male and its mate. And from the animals that are not clean you must take two, a male and its mate, as well as from the birds of heaven seven pairs, male and female, to keep their kind alive on the face of all the earth. For within seven days I will send rain upon the earth for forty days and forty nights, and I will blot out all the living creatures that I have made from upon the face of the ground. And Noah did according to all that Yahweh commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the flood waters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and the wives of his sons with him went into the ark because of the waters of the flood. Of clean animals and of animals which are not clean, and of the birds and everything that creeps upon the ground, two of each went to Noah, into the ark, male and female, as God had commanded Noah. 
And it happened that after seven days, the waters of the flood came over the earth. In the 600th year of the life of Noah, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day all the springs of the great deep were split open, and the windows of heaven were opened. And the rain came upon the earth forty days and forty nights. On this same day, Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the sons of Noah, and the wife of Noah, and the three wives of his sons with them, went into the ark, they and all the living creatures according to their kind, and all the domesticated animals according to their kind, and all the creatures that creep upon the earth according to their kind, all the birds according to their kind, every winged creature. They came to Noah to the ark, two of each, from every living thing in which was the breath of life. And those that came, male and female, of every living thing, came as God had commanded him. And Yahweh shut the door behind him. And the flood came forty days on the earth, and the waters increased and lifted up the ark, and it rose up from the earth. And the waters prevailed and increased greatly upon the earth. And the ark went upon the surface of the waters, and the waters prevailed overwhelmingly upon the earth. And they covered all the high mountains which were under the entire heaven. The waters swelled fifteen cubits above the mountains, covering them, and every living thing that moved on the earth perished, the birds and the domesticated animals and the wild animals and everything that swarmed on the earth and all humankind. Everything in whose nostrils was the breath of life among all that was on dry land died, and he blotted out every living thing upon the surface of the ground from humankind to animals to creeping things and to the birds of heaven they were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained, and the waters prevailed over the earth 150 days. And God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and all the domesticated animals that were with him in the ark. And God caused a wind to blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. And the fountains of the deep and the windows of the heaven were closed, and the rain from the heavens was restrained. And the waters receded from the earth gradually, and the waters abated at the end of 150 days. And the ark came to rest in the seventh month, on the seventeenth day of the month, on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to recede to the tenth month. In the tenth month, on the first of the month, the tops of the mountains appeared. And it happened that at the end of forty days, Noah opened the window of the ark he had made. And he sent out a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from upon the earth. And he sent out a dove to see whether the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove did not find a resting place for the sole of her foot. And she returned to him into the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the earth. And he stretched out his hand and took her and brought her to himself in the ark. And he waited another seven days. And again he sent out the dove from the ark. And the dove came to him in the evening, and behold, a freshly picked olive tree leaf was in her mouth. And Noah knew that the waters had subsided from upon the earth. And he waited seven more days, and he sent out the dove, but it did not return again to him. And it happened that, in the six hundred and first year, in the first month, on the first day of the month, the waters dried up from upon the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked. And behold, the face of the ground was dried up. And in the second month, on the twenty-seventh day of the month, the earth was dry. And God spoke to Noah, saying, Go out from the ark, you and your wife, and your sons, and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you all the living things which are with you, from all the living creatures, birds and animals, and everything that creeps on the earth, and let them swarm on the earth, and be fruitful, and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out with his sons and his wife, and all the wives of his sons with him. Every animal, every creeping thing, and every bird, and everything that moves upon the earth, according to its families, went out from the ark. And Noah built an altar to Yahweh, 
and he took from all the clean animals and from all the clean birds and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And Yahweh smelled the soothing fragrance, and Yahweh said to himself, Never again will I curse the ground for the sake of humankind, because the inclination of the heart of humankind is evil from his youth. Nor will I ever again destroy all life as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will not cease. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And fear of you and dread of you shall be upon every animal of the earth and on every bird of heaven and on everything that moves upon the ground and on all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they shall be given. Every moving thing that lives shall be for you as food. As I gave the green plants to you, I now give you everything. Only you shall not eat raw flesh with blood in it and your lifeblood. I will require from every animal I will require it. From the hand of humankind, from the hand of each man to his brother, I will require the life of humankind. As for the one shedding the blood of humankind, by humankind his blood shall be shed. For God made humankind his own image. And you, be fruitful and multiply, swarm on the earth and multiply in it. And God said to Noah and to his sons with him, As for me, behold, I am establishing my covenant with you and with your seed after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, and every animal of the earth with you, from all that came out of the ark to all the animals of the earth, I am establishing my covenant with you, that never again will all flesh be cut off by the waters of a flood, nor will there ever be a flood that destroys the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I am making between me and you, and between every living creature that is with you for future generations. My bow I have set in the clouds, and it shall be for a sign of the covenant between me and between the earth. And when I make clouds appear over the earth, the bow shall be seen in the clouds. Then I will remember my covenant that is between me and you, between every living creature with all flesh. And the waters of a flood will never again cause the destruction of all flesh. The bow shall be in the clouds, and I will see it so as to remember the everlasting covenant between God and between every living creature with all flesh that is upon the earth. And God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant which I am establishing between me and all flesh that is upon the earth. Somebody get this man some water. <laughs> I got it right here. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, we were... Uh, I debated not reading everything, but I think you don't get the full scope of the story. Yeah. That's like my biggest regret about the first episode we did was not reading the whole creation narrative. Yeah, just all the way through. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because you really, I mean, to get the full experience of it, you have to experience it first before you can just like talk about mm -hmm. it. You know? Yeah, so what are your initial thoughts after exhausting yourself yeah. over that? Well, one thing I, I noticed is like how, I, I feel like this is probably just like the Hebrew style, but it's like very repetitive the way that they write things. Yeah, like Noah, his wife, his sons, and the wives of his sons. Yeah, <laughs> and just like how they distinguished even between... They didn't the, just say animals. They said the domesticated animals and the wild animals and the creeping things and the birds. Just like over and over again. Every time they would say that, they would list out all of them. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So keeping in mind everything that we've talked about thus far, how do you read the flood narrative differently now just from this first experience? Is there anything that stood out to you? Anything that's like mm -hmm. clicking more? Well, one thing that was interesting to me is noticing that Yahweh was like sad that he had 
made humanity mm-hmm. like regretted um you know I, I don't know if I ever got that picture from like the Sunday school lesson version just like an angry god right? yeah yeah more like an angry god you know and it's interesting that um in is how, that heartbroken how, yeah like how the story's written it's like yeah he's heartbroken like oh like I shouldn't have made hum- like humanity like they're just evil like this is a bad idea and then I was like well I gotta just like wipe them all out Again, it's a mercy if you think about it from his perspective. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I was uh, I was trying to find, think of an analogy. If we're thinking of this holistically with everything we've talked about thus far, humanity, the sin, was just as much a failure of vocation. Yeah. It's basically like, all analogies fall apart at some point, but it's basically like um, a, a king hands the keys to a kingdom to some peasant off the street and was like um, I will instruct you but I want you to rule with me and then for that person to like grab a torch and just burn down the whole entire castle yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah you're not quite doing your job right yeah um, yeah that is something that like I don't even know if I have an answer for I don't know if we're supposed to have an answer for but just the fact that God was heartbroken by this just mm-hmm. paints a whole different picture than that's usually a big uh, argument I hear from my friends who are not followers of they just can't get over the angry God of the Old Testament. It's a really hard hurdle for them to jump. Yeah. I, th- I think with the Old Testament, like we see, they kind of paint God a little bit more like emotional. Oh, yeah, like being that kind of has emotions that can be like swayed. Um, you know, he gets he feels regret. We'll find later, like, when we get to Moses, we'll talk about, like, you know, his interaction with Moses and changing God's opinion. Mm -hmm. I mean, even if we fast forward to Jesus, he's, he absolutely has emotions and he, (laughs) like, he has feelings and, like, doesn't even want to go through with things, even if he does go through with them. Mm, Yeah, 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 that's true. And that's, I mean, fast forward again, like, looking at Jesus is looking at the heart of God. And so if we're watching Jesus do that, then it shouldn't be that difficult to correlate that with the God of the Old Testament. Yeah. And now now I'm thinking like... I think we get too tied up in our doctrines. Yeah. To where we... This shouldn't be scandalous if we just read our Bibles like they're presented. Yeah. <laughs> if, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Just kind of... Another thought I'm thinking now is like... So we have this person of, of God that we're meeting. Like Yahweh, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering... How, like maybe this isn't the right section to discuss this in, but I'm just gonna throw it out there. When we look at like the Christian idea of like God being Father, Son, and Spirit, like where Yahweh fits in that picture, if Yahweh is just all three all of them, three, yeah, or if it's like Yahweh is the Father, you know? Yeah, I don't think we're gonna answer that question yet. Yeah, mostly because I'm scared to answer that. Yeah. I don't know if I, uh, I don't know if I'm qualified to give that answer yeah. yet. Um, but maybe once we explore three, we can kind of come to a conclusion. Um, yeah, I'm not ready to give my answer on that. Yet. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> I don't yeah. have an answer. Yeah, awesome. So, uh, just a little preview for what we're going to be talking about today. Um, we're going to be talking about um, ancient Mesopotamian flood narratives. Mm-hmm. Um, I know it's a big scandal for people that. The Noah story exists among a plethora of other yeah, stories. Yeah, it shouldn't be a scandal, you guys. Don't be scandalized. <laughs> it's and, okay. Yep. And then we're going to talk about more order disorder. We're going to talk about more of non-order, order, and disorder again. 
we're going to be talking about patterns. We're going to be talking about covenants. And we're going to be talking about um, literary style and hyperbole. Yeah. So. Sounds good. Any of that I'm, stuff sound the most interesting to you? I'm excited to... Oh, man, all of it. Because I love finding patterns. Mm. I love talking about that. Um, I really am intrigued like, to learn a little bit more about the... Um, other flood stories and mm-hmm. see like you know you're a little you're a little versed in them i am a little versed yeah and um so be, there's just some cool stuff to, to talk about there to like notice the similarities and talk about the differences and uh, that, that's fun yeah I th- and then there's just a lot of like it's almost like a lot of the things that we talk about in or we see in like the adam and eve story um come back again because it's almost like another Adam and Eve story, mm-hmm. you know, just like kind of in a different way. So we'll talk about the pattern there and what that means. Awesome. Yeah. All right, guys, strap in. Uh, we're about to be on a roller coaster ride. Yep. Let's do. Smile for the picture. All right, let's get started. So, uh, the flood narratives. Yeah. Noah is not the only flood narrative in the ancient Middle Eastern world, is it? No, or even beyond the Middle Eastern world, really. Like, <laughs> they're all over the world. Yeah, I mean, you've got to think ancient people whose houses are probably not built very sturdy. A flood would be a, just a absolutely catastrophic event every time it happened. Mm-hmm. And, and even as now. And especially in the Near East, the civilizations, the cities were built close to the river because that's how... That's where life was. Yeah, and they relied on this um, annual flooding or seasonal flooding. I know that the Tigris and Euphrates would flood every year, and this would bring, like, rich nutrients into the soil. Yeah, think about the Nile and Egypt. Yeah. And And so, like, flooding was a good thing, and it was this thing that... When it was meant to happen. Yeah, when it was meant to happen. Hmm. But so that's kind of a common way that you can say that you know, these Near East people would all have flood stories is because they're all exposed to floods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. So, so before we kind of jump into this, uh, I think some of that needs to be reiterated, even for myself, just because I'm so familiar with it, but, but Genesis is an ancient document, mm-hmm. and this story would even be considered ancient to the ancient Israelites who were reading this. Yeah, because it, it was <laughs> supposed to have taken place, you know, thousands of years before... Um, that's wild to think about. Yeah. And so this, this would have been compiled, I mean... Babylonian I mean, exile. Would, yeah. They probably knew the story before then. But Babylonian exile was like, what year are we talking about? I'm so bad with dates. Yeah, I, know it's, I know it's like 600 to 500 years BC. Okay. So like relatively close to... Maybe, maybe... Let me just... You know, I've got a computer right in front of me. Google it. Or if this was Joe Rogan, we say, Jamie, look that up. The Babylonian I'm, I'm exile was in yeah, somewhere yeah. around 598 BC. So yeah, you were spot on. Look at you. You said you, you weren't good with dates and you had it spot on. Well, I remember... Okay, so I know that like Malachi, the last book of the Bible, is around 400 years before the Common Era. Mm-hmm. And I know that the Babylonian exile... 
lasted somewhere around like 70-ish years, and then you had a couple of years for when yeah. they returned. So I just kind of... So that time, around 600 BC, the Jewish people are living in Babylonian under um, the Babylonian rule, and they want to create this identity for themselves. So they're compiling all these texts into like a solid narrative. Yeah, they have all these traditions that they yeah. probably are piecing together. Mm-hmm. And so they would have been, because of the exposure to Babylonian stuff, they would have been aware of other flood stories too. Mm-hmm. So like another possible expl- explanation is taking like the flood narrative and putting on their theological yeah, difference. Their, exactly. There you go. Their theological yeah. points onto it. Yeah, I, I consumed a whole other book last week. It was by Walton again. Did you read it or eat it? Um, both. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's, it was called The Lost World of the Flood, mm-hmm. and it was really interesting. Um, and I, I love that you just talked about that because it talks about how Israel existed in the same cultural river as the Mesopotamian cultures at the time. Like cultural river meaning some like metaphorical thing or like literally the same river? So like, um, so like Americans and Europeans would live in the same cultural river, right? So you like kind of float the same direction. There's stuff that's in common, but there's still some differences. Yeah. Like... Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. Like, or, like, our our cultural river now is so global that, like, the Holocaust is something that everybody's aware of. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And uh, so they are – Noah's not the only flood narrative. We can't prove what came first, and I don't think there's any point in trying to prove mm-hmm. which story came first. All we know is that they exist in the same space is other flood stories um and when you look at them there's a lot of cosmetic similarities yeah. to these stories and i think that bothers a lot of people mm. i know when i first heard it that's like one of the things that like in college people are like oh this can't be true because there's so many other stories just like it and so the bible just ripped it off yeah <laughs> and so like if your faith is built on this like bible is has to be like factually historically accurate 100 percent of the way through this would be like a big problem for you. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you explain this? Yeah. And so, uh, let's just talk briefly about three of the major flood narratives right. besides from the Bible. So, um, we have Eridu Genesis, we have Atra Hasis, and probably the most well known that most people probably have at least heard of is the Gilgamesh epic. Mm-hmm. Are you aware with any of those? Yeah. Um, I am definitely familiar with the epic of Gilgamesh. Um, the other two. I may be familiar with the stories and just not recognize the names because those are the names of the books that they come from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I may know the stories, just mm-hmm. not the actual name of the books that they, they come from. Yeah. Um, what's going to be more important, though, um, is the differences. Now, we don't have enough time on this podcast. It'd be like a three-hour pod if we like went through the story of each and every one of these yeah. stories. But basically, um, what they're going to have in common... Um, with each other is that uh, divine council of gods is displeased with humans and they bring floods to destroy them. And so the divine realm or somebody within the divine realm decides to choose an individual to save by having them build a boat or an ark. Now the dimensions are nearly identical to the biblical ark. Um, Animals enter and at the end of the biblical narrative and the end of the Gilgamesh narrative of the flood, both characters get out and offer sacrifice mm. to the gods. So on the surface, that seems almost completely like the same story. Yeah, I mean, very, very similar. <laughs> what do you think about that? Um, yeah, so I feel like <clears throat> the epic of Gilgamesh and Noah 
I mean, probably share the same uh, like source, whether that is a historical event um, or it's like a historical flood. Probably is the that's one mm-hmm. option. Yeah, like either there's was an actual flood, and then once we go down that train, there's kind of two veins of maybe it was a localized event or maybe there was a global event, right? Mm-hmm. But so option A is like there was a flood historically and then these two narratives are different tellings of that same event. Um, option two would be just that there's a common myth. Either, either like one came first and one pulled off the other or there's another myth that we don't have that was you know b- b- before these two and they both pull off of it. Mm-hmm. So those are kind of my two ways of thinking. Hmm. Interesting. So those are um, the similarities. Though are really mostly cosmetic, so they're they're not they're surface level similarities. If you dig at the heart of each of these stories, they they tell something completely different. Yeah, for sure. Like the first, so Epic of Gilgamesh. There's there's like theological differences. Oh, absolutely. Because in the Epic of Gilgamesh, it's very clearly like just angry gods, and I, I think it's like. There's not even, like, a clear reason why, based on, like, what version of the mm-hmm. text you're reading. Like, one is, like, the humans were too noisy. Yep. And then there's, like, other explanations or, like, no explanation at all. It's just, like, well, we're going to wipe out humanity. I mean, that was the common belief of most of the, we call them pagan now, but just the the pagan religions of the time was you didn't know which god was angry, so you had to, like, figure out yeah. how to appease them. Um so I, I wrote down a bunch of differences. They're not exhaustive, um, but they do showcase major theological differences between the Mesopotamian stories and the biblical story. Okay. So starting with the divine realm, biblically, Yahweh is in complete control. Um, so he does have a divine council, but he's the one who's making all the decisions. Right, he's the head honcho. With, with all of this. There's no Elohim-like Yahweh. Mm-hmm. And the Mesopotamian narratives, many gods are involved. They all do not share the same plan, and many act contrary to each other um, with their um, wishes. So, like, I think you've got in um, Eridu Genesis, the Divine Council is specifically prohibited from, from warning humans about the flood, but one of the gods speaks to the house of somebody mm-hmm. living inside of it. Yeah, so it's like you got this god who's like, oh, I, I kind of don't want to destroy all humanity and goes behind the other guy's backs and he's like speaks I'm not going to break his rule I'm going to speak to his house oh speaks to his house like literally the house he literally speaks <laughs> to the house <laughs> that's clever that's clever um, so yeah that, I mean that already that's a big theological difference and then you've already um, you've already kind of talked about it the relationship with humans and the divine is, is very different in these um, so if we think back to what we've laid our groundwork with groundwork on in our other podcasts um Yahweh doesn't need humans yet he desires relationship with them the Mesopotamian gods and we already we briefly touched on this humans were either created by accident or they were created out of necessity so the gods wanted food or the gods wanted clothes right they didn't feel like making it for themselves so they just killed another god made humans out of them and like basically they're just they're slaves right right um, and that has some big implications for how this story, how these flood narratives go. Because you even said it. Uh, I think in, it's either Gilgamesh or Atrahasis. They're just annoyed by the noise they're making. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, ah, oh, two loud kids. Here comes a flood. Here comes a flood. 
Um, so they just kind of pettily decide to wipe them out just because they're annoyed. Yahweh was heartbroken by the deviation mm-hmm. from who he created the humans to be. Yeah. And uh, you do see a little bit of that in... Oh, man, I hate that. I can't remember if it's the Epic of Gilgamesh or the other one, but at the end, the gods are kind of, like, humbled and, like, like kind of weeping at the end because of the destruction that was brought upon. Yeah, there's a lot of wailing in the Divine Room and, like... Yeah. Some things where people are really, yeah, the the gods are very flawed, yeah, in, in those stories. Um, so let's think about the implication of these theological differences while Israel Israelite. So let's let's transport ourselves into an Israelite who is living in Babylon. Okay. So so the whole purpose of exile that the Babylonians did was to destroy culture and to assimilate people into theirs. Yeah. So to crush their beliefs, to crush their um, ethnic identity, to basically just make them submit to Babylonian cosmopolitan culture. Yep. So you, so Gilgamesh is a Babylonian tale. Okay. So, so Uruk, that was like ancient Babylon. And so actually a lot of people, there's not a lot of evidence for it, but there has been some people who have said that Nimrod is Gilgamesh. Interesting. I don't know how much I follow that, but it's interesting that yeah. they, they do that. Um, but what would be the importance of this kind of story? And it, it even kind of works the same way as the creation narrative. You're living in Babylon. Um, you're living all amongst all these different beliefs. You have to work in Babylon. You have to, um, you have to hear all these stories around you all the time. Yeah. And one of the things I found interesting even today um, is just the cultural identity of, of the Jewish faith and the people who consider themselves Jews. Mm-hmm. Until the 1950s, they haven't had a nation since the 500 BCs. <laughs> and they've maintained this identity yeah. throughout this whole time. And I think it's because of storytelling and and this kind of thing right here. Yeah. And the, the story also serves a purpose. So at that time, you know, Excuse me, living in uh, the Babylonian Empire, wanting to maintain this cultural identity of like the Jewish people, um, but also, you know, they had this belief that the Jewish people were kind of at the center of history, right? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, the story serves a purpose to continue on the line of descent from Adam, the first person, all the way into like the father of the Jewish people. So Noah is like a key figure in that because mm-hmm. um, when everybody else is wiped out, you know, it starts again. With the line Noah. continues with yeah. him. And he's a pure man, righteous in his generation. Yep. And so it kind of serves that purpose as like a, a link. And then also, yeah, just like, you know, to say that, okay, you might have heard these other flood stories. You, you know, heard about the Epic of Gilgamesh, but actually Yahweh made this flood and here's why. And so uh, it maintains that like Yahweh is in control of everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so interesting. And this is where Walton makes this statement that like blew my mind, where he goes about, there's all this debate about whether the flood actually took place. Was it global? Was it local? Was it just uh, a theological writing? Mm-hmm. He makes this statement um, because he is somebody who believes in Jesus, and he does think there's a lot of evidence for the resurrection and, and other things. Mm-hmm. But with the stuff of the Old Testament where we don't necessarily have evidence for, he says that events are not inspired, but the interpretation of events are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I like that. 
because he's like, for Israel to live as the chosen people, they had to have stories where they knew that. Mm-hmm. Which makes sense because if the point just is what like was there a flood, like that's not the point because you could have had this flood and then you have like these theological interpretations on it that don't reveal the heart of God. Mm-hmm. But then you have uh, this theological interpretation presented by the Jewish people that I think gets us a little bit closer to the heart of God. Yeah. And so that's, that's inspired. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's so fascinating to think through. And I wish, I don't think that's a very common um, systematic within our culture today. No, it's not. It's more, you know, I mean, at least from my world, where I come from in Christianity, more of the, like, just, like, oh, this is just something that actually happened, and, like, you know, and he, kind of taking it yeah. at face value. And, uh, I mean, he does go on to say that he does think there was a real Noah, and he does think there was a real flood, but he does think the description of the story is hyperbolic. Yeah. But he said it again, it's like the interpretation of the event is what is inspired and what it does to the generations mm-hmm. after it. Yeah. Um, yeah, let's talk about the different interpretations throughout uh, history of what this is. Um, so one thing to touch on real quick is that all history is selective and interpreted through the intention of the author. Mm-hmm. And that's what he talks about inspired, where he's like... Um, it's inspired through the interpretation of the author, so we need to work really hard to see what is the author trying to say. And so he makes this case that it's hyperbolic language, and the ancient Israelites would have recognized it as hyperbolic language. Yeah. And so that shouldn't be a scandal to us. Like, they knew that these proportions were blown very high. There's never been a boat in the history of the world, a wooden boat that's ever been as big as anything described. Yeah, that would, that would be in these stories. crazy to build, huh? Like, so it wasn't the point. Yeah, and it, I think 40, the number 40 is... Is symbolic. Right, symbolic of like a long time. Mm-hmm. It's like 40 days, 40 nights to an ancient Israelite. It's like, okay, this is a long time. Long time, yeah. Because they're thinking, oh, the 40 years in the desert where our ancestors walked around forever. Yeah. <laughs> um... So Genesis is theological history. Yeah. It's not it's not merely history and we need to stop acting like it is merely history because there is no such thing as mere history. That's right. Tell them. And so um Genesis um Genesis 1 through 11, which we take to be the prologue of Genesis, and in turn, since it's the prologue of Genesis, it's also the prologue for the whole entire biblical narrative. Mm-hmm. It looks broadly at the story of humanity. And when we come to chapter 12, when we get to Abraham, it's going to pinpoint in on the shorter amount of time. So Genesis 1 through 11 is covering like swaths, like primeval, like really like primordial humanity. And like, and then it's going to focus, pinpoint in on Abraham. And then it's just going to focus on three generations for the rest of the 38 chapters. Um, So. What does that do to you and your mind when you think of this as not just history but theological history? I think it kind of puts me in the headspace of thinking more about the stories, not just taking them at face value, mm-hmm. you know, but understand <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> understanding that there's that there is a theological uh, 
message in these stories. And that's what's inspired. Yeah. It's like, you know, when you read the history of George Washington, it's like, okay, this is just, this is what he did at this age, and then he went here. It's more just like, okay, these are facts. Okay, let's, let's talk about that for a second. So I've, I've found the best history classes in comparison to the worst history classes are as followed. So the, the best history classes... Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll follow this thought up hold in just that, a second. Hold that thought. Yeah, so good history and bad history. Um, bad history to me is the merely reading off of facts mm-hmm. of like, I remember in high school, like just remembering dates and just trivial random things, but good history. Um, I've never taken an actual history course, but I am a nerd and I just like, I like watching stuff on YouTube with these really amazing history professors where they talk about it. And it's always about, I, I feel like I have to sneeze. Watermelon. <coughs> that was a powerful sneeze. I'm a powerful sneezer. <laughs> um, but these, I feel so much better now. Um, these professors and really good history books, what they do is they say, okay, let's look at these events and we're going to look at how it changed culture, how it changed the viewpoint of the common people, how it inspired these leaders, and how it changed everything that came before it. I have to sneeze again. Whoa. It's because you just got so much energy inside of you. Yeah, I have to get rid of it somehow. But what do you think about that? I think that's true. Like, I'm thinking about it in the terms of, like, people's legacy, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, key historical figures or, like, so I'm going to live, like, forever. So when, <laughs> when, when you die and my great-great-grandkids ask me, you know, tell me about Hayden, you know, I'm not just going to say, well... Hayden was born in Rutherford County in the year blah blah blah, and he in this year he graduated here blah blah blah. You know, just like lift off facts, but like tell stories mm-hmm. that reveal something about you and like your impact, what you brought to the table. Mm-hmm. And so applying that to like history and like the flood narrative, right? It's not about like oh here's just a list of facts that happened. You know, just there you go, guys. Just just so you know. Yeah. But it's like wait no no, no this is a story and like let's and. The characters in the story is kind of like humanity and Yahweh, and so it's like, what is this revealing about Yahweh and his relationship with humanity? Awesome. And so we can also think of this in terms of the fact that, um, going back on this, God transcends culture, but he did choose to speak to a certain group of people within a cultural context. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... That's God meeting them on their own terms. Yeah. Because if he spoke to them with 21st century sensibilities, they'd be like, what now? Yeah, totally. I mean, like, we, we look at, because we're kind of talking about this with Genesis 1 and the creation story. Like, let's just assume for a second, right, that, like, the, the whole universe started in a Big Bang however many million or billion years ago, right? Let's just assume. What if... Yahweh was to talk to like some ancient person and be like 14 billion years ago the universe was all contained in the tiniest point and then it imploded and exploded and expanded and molecule you know like it, that's just it makes no well, sense well they had no concept of the the land they were on even being a globe so yeah it was just exactly like, yeah so everything was contained within the dome yeah so you have to speak to their terms yeah yeah that makes sense and so that, that that's why like we're trying to 
think as they thought and see the world as they saw when reading these texts mm-hmm. because it's going to make more sense when we do it that way. Yes. So there's three major interpretations um, to Genesis that I find that are valid. Um, and all three of these are not mutually exclusive, so they can all be valid, but it's just easier to categorize them within these confines yeah. because humans are so limited in that regard, yeah. I feel like. So we have the traditional view, which is what I grew up hearing, and so like what I'm saying is this is not wrong, this is just the only thing that I've ever heard, Yeah. and there's more to it than that. Totally. So the traditional view is that an act of judgment was carried out by God in response to moral degradation. Yeah, and, that's, and I think that if you were to ask most Christians or even non-Christians who have heard of this story, mm-hmm. that's what you would hear. Yeah, now that was absolutely the thought in the Second Temple period. You read the book of First Enoch, and it's that's what it's all about, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that's even the the thought process in the New Testament. So I have Second Peter chapter two pulled up. David, do you mind reading verses one through five? You got it. There were indeed false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, and will bring swift destruction on themselves. Many who followed their depraved ways in the way of truth will be maligned because of them. Oh, there we go. They will exploit you in their greed with made-up stories. Their condemnation, pronounced long ago, is not idle, and their destruction does not sleep. For if God didn't spare the angels who sinned, but cast them into hell and delivered them in chains of utter darkness to be kept for judgment, and if he didn't spare the ancient world, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others when he brought the flood on the world of the ungodly, and if he reduced the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes and condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is coming to the ungodly, and if he rescued righteous Lot, distressed by the depraved behavior of the immoral, For as that righteous man lived among them day by day, his righteous soul was tormented by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment, especially those who follow the polluting desires of the flesh and despise authority. Did I read more than I was supposed to? Yeah, that's fine. (laughs) (laughs) But you can see where their interpretation of Noah, you can see the prevailing interpretation of the Noah's narrative just in that short little section yep. of, of Second Peter. Yeah, it like ties in with uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, the story of destruction, and yeah, just like this judgment on ungodly people. Yeah. Oh, and two hours later, we're back. Yes, we are. Hello. Business is booming as usual at How Coffee. Um, we have a little guest that's going to come say hi. Hey, y'all. I'm Kaylee. Okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, so uh, we talked about the traditional interpretation, um, and you read that view from Second Peter. Yep. And you could kind of yeah. see the, um, the judgment aspect being carried out. Yep. Now, the second view, and again, this is not mutually exclusive, so both can exist in the same space. This view is interested in tracking non-order, order, and disorder through the flood narrative. And so the flood account focuses on God reestablishing order as he uses non-order to destroy disorder. Yeah, because uh, the waters yes. in Hebrew, uh, Bible, but also in other cultures around the area are this 
um, substance that is kind of the origin of life. Yes. But it also destroys life. Mm-hmm. So it's like this powerful force that is a non-ordered thing because it's not good or bad. Mm-hmm. And it can bring order or it can bring disorder or it can shape disorder into order. Yes, 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 yes. A lot of orders. Yeah, so it, it resets order. So the, the waters come through, non-order takes out disorder. Yep. And then order is brought back and reestablished. Yeah. I'm using really crazy hand motions right now, but I keep forgetting that y'all can't Yeah, it's just, it's just like a swirly thing. <laughs> yeah, what do you think about that? Do you think that can coexist with the traditional view at the same time? Yeah. I mean, I think you could both can exist at the same time because even in the view of like, okay, there's a deity that is angry because of the like evil nature. Mm-hmm. The evil nature would be the disorder. The um, deity would be seen as the order, mm-hmm. and the, the waters are that non-ordered substance that the deity uses to remove the, the disorder and implement order. So they kind of can go hand yes. in hand. Awesome. And then there's a third, which is the literary interpretation, which also can coexist with the traditional view and the second view. And this is where we're asking, what is the story telling us here? And what is the story trying to say? And so this is more on the theological interpretation of the event. Um, So what do you think the story is doing with this narrative? Holistically, if we're looking at where we started at in Genesis, what is this flood narrative doing to the story now? So the the storyline of God creates a good world, humanity messes up, mm-hmm. there's going to be a solution that God promises, you know, in chapter three, right? Mm-hmm. And so kind of naturally, the next part is like, okay, when is it going to be fixed? And you actually see the opposite happen. It gets really, really bad. So as a reader, you might be thinking like, oh Uh-oh. no, like, <laughs> is this ever going to be fixed? Like, is God even still active? So this story kind of serves as a way to say, hey, God is active in the earth and mm-hmm. like he still has a plan. So this is one way that God intervenes amidst the massive evil in the world. He says like, no, I'm still going to save the world through a line of, uh, through a, a human that is descended from Eve, right? Mm-hmm. So it kind of carries on that story, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yes. Yeah, I've heard it said before that like independent events aren't a story. It's when you start weaving events together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so it it is. It's picking up this thread, like you said, starting from Eve all the way to here, and it's going to continue from this point onward as well. And so, um, what the narrator does with the characters is more important than what the characters actually do. Okay. Dawn, with that. Explain a little bit. Hello, you in the mood for some coffee? Yeah, so what do I mean by that? I, uh, I think it goes back to the interpretation being the, the interpretation and the theological meaning behind the story is more important than the actual event itself. Yeah. Just like in history, the interpretation of history and its implications is more important than the actual event. Mm-hmm. So how do you apply that to this story? So... I think you have to look at it within that narrative, like you said, of things have gone really bad from where they began. Story-wise, conflict Mm -hmm. has been 
introduced and any good story when the conflict is introduced the main character is working to fix it in this case Yahweh is our main character of the biblical story yeah and so he's going through this pattern of yeah let's talk about patterns because pattern is kind of what we pick up on within this literary device um so you go through Genesis 1 through 3 um we see the first human sin so disorder and sin enter human experience and death becomes inevitable um so the pattern is set judgment is announced but before the judgment is actually executed a token of grace is extended Mm -hmm. so Adam and Eve recognized that they were naked and God clothed them God clothed them and then sent them out of the garden yeah I mean even with uh Cain Cain is exiled he's like they're gonna kill me he's like well I'm gonna give you a mark yes they don't kill you yeah 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 and and so even while they're that even though they have to struggle with hostility and relational dysfunction and, and difficult work and death, God is still granting a token of grace yeah. to his humans to carry forward his promise at the very beginning to um, subdue the earth and multiply. Yeah, and same exact like command he gives to Adam and Eve, he gives to Noah, mm-hmm. just with the uh, difference of like now you can eat animals. Yeah. And so now when we get to Genesis 6 and the actual flood narrative, Humans have multiplied, so they've done that part, but they're so corrupted that sin has grown to mammoth proportions. And so God's heart is grieved. He he announces that he's going to eradicate humanity and he's going to wipe everything out. Mm -hmm. So it follows that pattern again. He goes, he's going to execute, he announces the judgment, but before he executes the judgment, he offers a token of grace. Mm -hmm. In this case, it's going to be with Noah. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Are you, are you saying the pattern now? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so holistically, what, what is that pattern setting then? I guess it's setting the kind of like revealing something about the character of God that the Bible's speaking about. Mm-hmm. Saying like that even though the nature of humanity like leads to destruction, God wants to preserve humanity and probably always will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. I wish I wish we would talk about literary themes and literary patterns more within the the church context. Yeah, because I feel like that's something I missed out on a long time before I really. Again, shout out to the Bible Project. Like they do a really fantastic job of like following these patterns. Mm-hmm. And I think it just takes like intentionality, like to get together with a group of people that want to do that whether it's like you know a kind of semi-formal thing at a church it's like a bible study or if it's just like a group of friends because I guess like you don't really have in the way church is nowadays where it's kind of like we get together sing some songs somebody speaks for 30 minutes you don't really have the space in that format to necessarily get into yeah it makes you wonder how could we change like does the format need to change I don't know I think me personally, for my own personal faith, I think it does. It might work for other people, but for me, it's just, I feel like we've fallen into a pattern, or like we've, we've fallen into a pattern of ourselves. <laughs> yeah. And I guess it's just like, yeah, it's just like personal preference, you know, because for some people that might be what they want. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you have the desire to really look at the entirety of scripture, the Hebrew Bible, New Testament, and understand it as literature, 
you won't really find that necessarily from the Sunday pulpit. Yeah. Which I mean, I guess like, I guess that begs the question of like, what's the purpose of the Sunday pulpit sermon? Yeah. Which is probably different than what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that's something I always have to realize is I think we're we're doing a really niche thing here, mm-hmm. and I think we're coming from the standpoint of this being a supplement to faith, but none of what we're doing is actually saving anybody. If that makes sense. But yeah. Maybe. Well, but then it's like, what is saving? You know, it's a whole different... That's a whole rabbit hole that we can go down. Oh, man. That could be like a three-hour bonus episode. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we got way off track right there. Okay. okay. Let's roll it back in. Where are we? Okay, so so basically, we see this pattern of human sin. God judges the sinner. Grace intervenes. And then the execution is brought out. Mm -hmm. So the flood still comes. God still wipes everything else out, yeah. but that grace extended out to Noah and his family. Yep. Which, like, I think, I think uh, the flood narrative and the book of Joshua are two of the books that most people who have trouble believing in the God of the Old Testament and therefore in the God of the New Testament, the flood narrative and the book of Joshua are the two hardest hurdles for people to... Well, yeah, I mean, it makes sense because you're dealing with, like, okay, did God, you know, Jesus, like, kill thousands of people? And then, like, in Joshua, like, women, children, animals, it's like, did that God, the same God that, like, is embodied in Jesus do all that? And I see how that's a big hurdle. Yeah, and I think it, it comes back to the... The questions we started asking at the beginning of like, was the was the consequence of death actually a mercy from that standpoint? And then when we go later down the road, especially around the Second Temple period and New Testament when resurrection is brought back in. Mm-hmm. And then I'm sure we'll have to start asking the questions of like the in-between stage between death and resurrection. There's got to be some state of being at that point like is God still working in somebody's being even in that state if I, I don't know I mean yeah you know I don't know that <laughs> I don't know that either yeah um, I want to explore it yeah I, w- I want to explore it too like I mean I, I have thoughts on it for sure because I, I don't want to just like th- necessarily like throw any of my thoughts out yet without the proper context to like mm-hmm. elaborate on yeah I just know that like uh, you get like um Atheistic scholars, like somebody, like you've probably heard of Richard Dawkins. Yeah. Where he's like, he calls the God of the Old Testament the monster God. Yeah. And I mean, it's, you, you know, you can't like really blame him for that. Yeah, I guess it's it's like, where is your framework coming from though? Because it's like, in the biblical narrative, the way it's presented, it makes sense, I think, of like, the world was meant for order. And that's the way life was meant to be lived, and it's gone so far the other direction that there's like you need a fresh start. Yeah, maybe. But then, like you see in Jesus, it's like you know the world is disordered, and Jesus comes to announce the order of God, and it's not through violence. It's not through you know this, these acts of like wiping people out and starting fresh. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's through love. It's through loving your neighbor as yourself. So. So where do we find the balance in that? I mean, it's different for everybody, you know. I I lean more to the side of like, you know, Jesus being the ultimate revelation. Of, yeah. So of, Jesus is the ultimate revelation. Like maybe God didn't kill thousands of people, and maybe these are stories that serve a different purpose than documenting what the Creator of the universe actually 
<laughs> did. Interesting. Yeah. I'll have to think on that more. So let's kind of trans. Let's let's start looking at the story itself now. Okay. Okay. So we talked a little bit last week. Noah is mentioned first in that um, genealogy from Seth all the way to Noah. Yep. And Noah comes from the uh, Hebrew root Noah, which Noah. means um, he will bring us rest or he will bring us relief. Oh yeah, which totally fits his character. Yeah. So working again from like he's probably a character who didn't speak Hebrew, so the character of Noah. Very well could have been a real person, but he probably wasn't actually named Noah. Right. Like, whoever wrote Genesis chose that name for a reason. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense because he's bringing relief to a disordered world. Yes. And so you get the, the character. It says in uh, chapter 6, verse 9, These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man without defect in his generation. Noah walked with God. Yeah, which only we Enoch. saw Enoch, yeah. Yeah, which I think is why they named the book of Enoch Enoch. I don't know. Oh, like if... Are they connecting Enoch with... Uh, are they connecting Enoch with Noah? I haven't read verse Enoch yet. I think they're connecting Enoch with Enoch. Okay. Like they're saying this is stuff that happened during Enoch's life. Okay. Interesting. I think. I don't know. I haven't read it in a while. Yeah. And so um, the the Hebrew is actually indicating when it says that he's righteous. Uh, it's not saying that he deserves salvation. It's just saying that he was somebody who was in divine service. And so he was, he was one of those who called upon the name of the Lord. Right. So instead of like everybody else who was just chasing worldly, fleshly pleasures... He was devoted. Or killing people. Or killing people, yeah. He was devoted to like Elohim mm-hmm. and to Yahweh. Yeah. And it's not so much that grace found it's not so much that Noah found grace, but grace found Noah. Um and so God pronounces that he's going to Makah the earth. Makah! Sounds like a bird. No. <laughs> <laughs> and Makah does not mean destroy, it means a race. Mm. And so, yeah, it's like an etch a sketch. You don't like, like you draw something and then you're like, I'm gonna start over. You don't like tear apart the etch a sketch and throw it away. Yeah, you just erase what's on there. Mm-hmm. And so he tells uh, Noah to build a teva, which is what we call the ark. Nice. Um, and teva literally just means container. Okay. So it doesn't necessarily mean boat. It means container. It's the same. It's the same noun in Exodus in which. Baby Moses is placed in and sent down. Oh, that's interesting. Really? Yes. That's cool. I like that. So Noah was put in a teva. Yeah, and then Moses was put in a teva as well. Oh, I like that. Okay, what's you feel like you just had an uh-huh moment? <laughs> well, it just like shows kind of a parallel because both figures, right? Noah and Moses, they are people through whom Yahweh um, is bringing about His plan for order into the world. And destruction was coming to the Israelite children. And they were both in water. Yeah, I mean, they're both putting tape Oz. In water. In water. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, I know. That's pretty crazy. Um, these The writers were geniuses. They were. That's, uh, man. That's, I mean, that just goes to show you how much language really does, like, affect the way things are read. Yeah, too. definitely. Because, like, you, you miss that when you just say arc and basket. Right? You don't make that connection necessarily. Mm-hmm. Oh, something else that uh, I was thinking about water while we were talking about, you know, Moses going on water and stuff. So water, yes, is this force that is, like, dis- or non-order and um, can bring, you know, destruction is 
where life comes from. Uh, other places that water shows up in the scriptures is um, so hand washing ri- rituals before like to purify mm-hmm. yourself. That's like a mini flood, like you're cleansing Ooh. yourself, right? Yeah. And then baptism also is like a mini flood where you're destroying the old self and you're coming out uh, a new self. Oh, yeah. Did you make that connection yourself? No, I had it in a YouTube video. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, man. Uh, yeah, no, I didn't make it myself. But when I heard David it, Bernal, PhD. Yeah, no. Uh, I just uh, regurgitate. Okay. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I read books and then kind of <laughs> try to, to form thoughts out of them. So these are not my own thoughts completely. Um, so in the Makkah, the Tevah is going to be the vehicle through which salvation comes through. Um, and, I, and I think I've already said this. This is kind of a hyperbolic description of a vessel um, because the interpretation is more important than the event and so it needs to be grandiose right. in idea because um, there's there's never been a wooden boat that large that could float because like even the Ark Encounter like it has to be held up by so much like support system yeah that like <laughs> I don't think that thing would float yeah I don't know I've seen uh, in these you know old school Christian Videos they like have, you know, scientists that are like trying to they like recreated like a model like a mini version of the art. Uh-huh. Like my grandpa has one in his office. It's made out of I don't know what material. It's like a mini one about like a foot or two feet long, and it's supposed to be like to scale of the dimensions and shows like how it would like balance in water and flow. So maybe I mean, I'm not saying it can't, but I don't know. Yeah, it's not the important thing. Yeah, but... the important thing is not that. Yeah. And then the, the size is showcasing God's abundant provision and protection. Yeah. And so, and then we get to the actual description of the flood, and it coincides with what we were talking about with ancient cosmology. Mm-hmm. Did you catch that when you were reading? Where it talks about, um, let me see. Oh, oh, the windows of heaven. The windows open. of heaven yeah, opened yeah. up. Because heaven was, uh, we, was the top of the dome. We, we think of heaven as... You know, we're talking about space, maybe. But as if we remember from Genesis one, it's actually a canopy mm-hmm. that was stretched uh, to hold the waters above it mm-hmm. out of the earth. And when it rained, the kind of idea was, oh, there must be windows that open up to let the, that water in. Yep. And and also that the land was floating on water. Right. So the waters from below and the waters from above. And it says in. Um, here, it says uh, in verse 17. T- it's 17. It says, And the flood came 40 days, and the earth and the water increased. No, it's not 17. Oh. It's in. Um, Where is it? Verse 11. On that day, all the springs of the great deep were split open, and the windows of heaven were yeah. open. So, so water's coming from below, and water's also coming right. from above. Which to the ancient person is like, okay, so it was all the water. Yeah. So, like, some, like. Because basically what they're thinking is it's a dome encased in water. Yeah. And so there's water below, there's water on the sides, there's water above, and it's yeah. only the firmament or the, the dome that's keeping the water out. So there's windows and there's fissures in the ground. If those are opened up, water is going to come from below. And come from above. And so the dome is getting just filled up yeah. with water. You should make a snow globe flood dome. <laughs> oh, man. Put a little arc in it. Yeah. Um, because that makes sense with their worldview of how could the world have that much water in it. Because there's yeah. not enough water to cover every mountain on Earth yeah. to our own scientific view. I guess. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, what what if all the glaciers melted? 
Maybe. Like Antarctica. I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to pretend like I'm a scientist. <laughs> yeah. I'm not a scientist either. Yeah. Um, but this... Um, so this indicates ancient cosmology... And it's giving its theological purpose of just God is erasing disorder with yeah. non-order. And so I think I just kind of came to the conclusion, like, I'm okay with not having to prove the flood. Good. I'm glad. Because <laughs> you probably won't. I just, I'll, you, you do, you can go down that YouTube rabbit hole where, oh, like, yeah. you said scientists with quotation marks is what. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there are, like apparently like fossilized fish and shells like way up in some mountains uh-huh so give it could give credence is that the right word to theories that like maybe at some point some mountains were submerged underwater mm-hmm. so who knows i don't know so um animals surviving and it even says that he brings plants onto the ark as well we never talk about that Oh, yeah, yeah. It, the, the focus is always on the animals. But the idea is, like... You're preserving. preserving life. Yeah. And the way that um, it's in the Epic of Gilgamesh is that he's bringing the, the seed of every living thing onto the life, on, on, onto the boat. And so the idea in both stories and here in Noah is that um, God wants to preserve the creation and, like, start over, mm-hmm. but not just, like, obliterate everything, like, keep the things that are good and keep mm-hmm. it going. And what's interesting to know is that, like, judgment doesn't come ever on nature, like, on animals. It's on, like, humans. Uh, yeah, I read that. Or it was, like, the, the judgment was pronounced on humans, but since humans were expected to be the caretakers of all other life, then naturally that would be... Yeah, like, they get punished too, basically. Yeah. Nature suffers the consequences. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the floods came we know the Sunday school story we're not going to go over the Sunday school details of like he waited 40 days sent the dove out sent it back in other than the doves are meant to be like harbingers of peace and so you're seeing that like peace is on the earth again yeah and I I just feel like there's something there too because like so dove right dove descended on on Jesus Mm -hmm. and this this is kind of stepping out for a second of that ancient Israelite view, but like looking at like holistically, the dove being a symbol of like the spirit that you know rests on Jesus. That's it's interesting that that's the bird that Noah sends out, mm-hmm. and he's carrying an, an olive branch when he comes back, which right? is also a symbol of peace. Yeah, and olives are kind of a symbol of like oil because mm-hmm. olive oil, like you take the olive, you crush it, you crush it, you make oil, and that's oil where we get the word Christ from in the Greek. Yeah, exactly. So I feel like there's some kind of hidden symbology maybe going on in there Mm -hmm. and so they survive they get out of the ark and in chapter 8 verse 20 is the first reference ever to sacrifice upon an altar Mm. and so altars um, in the ancient Near East um, it was an important part of interacting with the gods so sacrifices were burned on an altar that often stood in the courtyard outside of the temple yeah and the temple was regarded as the house of God and was the center of religious life. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we read this in today's reading, but we're going to read it in next week's. Um, Noah build, Noah is a gardener. Mm. And so he builds this altar, and then he also creates this garden. Yeah, so it's like an Eden. It's another little Eden. But with sacrifice. So it's a different relationship now that's established. Mm-hmm.
Yeah, so... Um, We're talking about altars, right? Yeah, we kind of finished talking about them. Uh, but altars are going to be something that is going to be frequently mentioned from here on out. Yeah. Um, so basically, it was anything that... It could be made out of wood, it could be made out of stone, it could be made out of brick. It was uh, kind of like a platform for which Israelites wouldn't sacrifice on the altar. They would sacrifice outside the temple and then sprinkle the blood on the altar. Oh, okay. But in other cultures, they would actually sacrifice on the altar and let all of the blood run out on it and then probably burn on top of it. Okay. Which I might not have all my information right on that. I will, of course, correct once I actually look into it more. But generally, that's I got like... You. Yeah, yeah. It was a place where sacrifices happened. Mm-hmm. And so, um, the Noah story is also the first mention of covenant. And, um, well, rewind. All right, going from the altars. Um, so, even though God brought back order, he says very explicitly he knows that this flood will not reverse the corruption of the human will and heart. Yeah, because he says, I'm never going to destroy the earth again even because of man, even though their intentions are evil. From his youth. So, and he kind of ends it saying, only when a new heaven and a new earth come to fruition will things be completely put right. So this is the first time we really see that concept of new heaven, new earth. Wait, is that what it says in there explicitly? Uh, Did I miss that? Or is that implied? Okay, verse 22 of chapter 8. As long as the earth endures, seed and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will not cease. Okay. So he's just saying as long as the earth... Endures. Endures. Like, everything's going to keep going. Mm -hmm. Which implies that it will end at some point. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Which, yeah, I mean, inevitably it's going to. Mm -hmm. Even if there is no act of, you know, God destroying it, the sun's going to blow up at some point. Mm -hmm. I guess so. I mean, yeah, it's going to. At least that's what they say. Again, I'm not a scientist. (laughs) Um, So God repeats the blessing to Adam, to Noah. Fill the earth. This is the first time that human consumption of meat is mentioned. Yeah. So in chapter 9, um, every moving thing that lives shall be for you as food. As I gave the green plants to you, I now give you everything. Hmm. So were we meant to be vegetarians? I mean, I don't know, maybe. Because, like, that, that was when the world was more ideal, there was no killing yeah. flesh. So, like, maybe that is the ideal state of existence is not killing. Like, at the end of all things, if there is a new heaven and a new earth... We like, weren't killing anything to eat meat with. Yeah. So is there going to be meat in the new heaven, new earth? Like, Doesn't sound like it. Yeah, it doesn't sound like it. So. Interesting. Um, and then he says this poem right here where he's talking about... Um, you can eat meat, but you can't eat anything with blood in it. Yeah. Because the blood is like sacred life. Yeah. And your lifeblood I will require from every animal. I will require it. And from the hand of humankind, from the hand of each man to his brother, I will require the life of humankind. As for the one shedding the blood of humankind, by humankind his blood shall be shed. For God made humankind in his image. And so this is saying from here on out, bloodshed against humanity is me taking very, very seriously. Yeah, because it, it, it tells you why. Like, humanity is the image of God. It's this, like, You're, sacred, like, God, God, Elohim in the Hebrew, but, like, God 
Yahweh. Yeah, it's like that is in humanity. So you're not just dealing with like another human and you're talking with somebody. Like you're dealing with God. I think we talked about this a little bit last week, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, yeah. And so basically murdering a human becomes murdering God in effigy. A what? An effigy. What's an effigy? Effigy is like you're basically murdering or trying to murder God when you're murdering oh, another okay. person. That's your Is that what effigy means? To murder God? No. Effigy is like a... I, I know he's, what it uh, is, but I can't explain it well. looking it up on the dictionary because I don't know words. A sculpture model of oh, a person. Oh, okay. So humans are a, the a effigy rep- of yeah. God. So that's just being in the image. So gotcha. you're... You're looking at somebody who's the image of a god, and you can't... It's the Cain and Abel question. You can't murder God, so you're going to murder yep. somebody who bears his likeness. Yep. And so God is God is a being who desires order and reconciliation. So covenant, or the word beret in Hebrew, this is the first time that it is mentioned as in the flood narrative. He, God tells Noah, I will make my beret with you in chapter 6. And after the flood in chapter nine, he, he makes the barrette. he make he makes the barrette. So a barrette is a formal agreement between two parties. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you married somebody, that was a barrette. Mm-hmm. Or like two kings would decide not to kill each other's kingdoms. They, they would, would make, make a, a barrette. They would make a barrette mm-hmm. with each other. Um, and it's a promise to Noah and his descendants and to every living creature that God intends a return to order. What's interesting, too, is, like, this is kind of a one-sided barrette, no? Like, God's not requiring anything of Noah in it, I don't think. It's just, like, he's... And you will be... As, as for me, behold, I'm establishing my covenant with you and with your seed after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, and every animal of the earth with you, from all that came out of the ark to all the animals of the earth, I'm establishing my covenant with you that never again will all flesh be cut off by the waters of a flood, nor will there ever be a flood that destroys the earth. Yeah, so it's just like God promising something without saying, you have to do this. And you're going to see that pattern really, especially when we get to Abraham. There's like, I think there's two different covenants with Abraham. You're going to see this one-sided covenant deal. Cool. So I'm glad that you brought that up already. You're welcome. Um, and so he gives it a sign, and that's going to be, the Hebrew just says bow. Yeah. But we call it, we call it the rainbow. We've added the rain yeah. in front of it. Which makes sense. It makes sense. And it's like okay, you're thinking logically, you typically see a rainbow after the rain. After the rain. Yep. And so God is saying, Don't be scared when rain comes. When you see that rainbow, you will know that my covenant still stands. Yeah. I I think about that every time I see a rainbow. Honestly. Oh cool. Yeah, it's it's a pretty cool thing. Have you ever been underneath a rainbow before? What do you mean? Like where it's like 90 degrees above you? Yeah. I don't think I have, no. It's oh, trip. man. It sounds trippy. It was the coolest experience. I was driving. I was in the middle of the woods, and so I had like pine trees on each side. Yeah. And it just rained. The sky was like pink. And like the arc, I could see it from the distance, and I was driving in a straight path, and it was like perfectly arced wow. above. And then like drove under it, looked up, and then I could see it in my rear view mirror. That <laughs> is crazy. That's really cool. Yeah, it's, and you would think in the ancient world something like that would be a phenomenal thing to see. Oh yeah, I mean without light pollution, without really much human structure in the way. So you were driving and you saw this and you were like, oh yeah, thank God, the world's not going to be destroyed today. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating. Yeah. 
Um, and so the rainbow is a sign. Signs are very typical for covenants. Signs? Like to end a covenant with a sign to remember it by? So like circumcision is the sign for the Abrahamic covenant. Mm-hmm. And the Sabbath is the sign for the Mosaic covenant. Awesome. Bye, y'all. Bye. Here, let me go get these girls some coffee. All right. Well, I, this definitely wasn't an exhaustive approach of looking at the flood, but I think what we wanted to touch on, we hit. Yeah, and point. I'm confident to say it's probably the best one that anybody has ever done. So, <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, like, we're probably the best. Yeah, I, I had this moment where I was like, I need to get over the fact that I need to come up with a mind-blowing thing yeah. every time. Like, that's, that's, not, not, that's not the point of, yeah. of trying to do this. No, that's um, not what we're here for. We're just talking through it, trying to explore it. Yeah. Okay, so, so let's think about where we're at in the story now. Okay. So take a holistic view of creation, of non-order being brought to order, but then listening to non-order brought disorder. Mm-hmm. The pattern sets up. Um, there's a consequence to these actions. God pronounces a judgment, um, but then offer, offers a grace mm-hmm. um, and then sends them out to carry on the story, and carry on the promise. And so where we're at right now, Noah has left the ark. Order has been reset, but it's very clear that the human heart is still faulty. <laughs> yeah, it's about to go bad in the next chapter. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Yeah, so like, I think the question you would end if you were reading story by story like to your kids at night would be like, did Noah bring relief? Is, this the, is the relief brought now? And like for a second, yeah. For a know. second, yeah. Like it's gonna take a really like really weird dark turn. Yeah, yeah. Next episode is like PG thirteen plus. It might even be. It might even be R rated. Yeah, it might even be R rated. <laughs> so um <laughs> It's a Bible man. They got some they got some stories in yeah, there. Yeah, there's uh sex scandals galore. And, yeah, weird stuff. Yeah. Um all right, so how are you feeling? I feel amazing. Yeah, I think I've never, I've never went through, I've never went through Genesis this methodically before, mm-hmm. just on my own personal journey. Like I, um, I was journaling last night about the experience of just like my prayer for this whole project that we're working on, uh, a Bible project. If you, <laughs> it, it is a project about the Bible. Yeah, a Bible project. If you want to put it that way, it's like I. Jesus has this thing and. John, where he says to the Pharisees that you search the scriptures your whole life because you thought that would give you life, and yet here I am and you don't see it. Mm-hmm. And so I don't want it to become a thing where we're just pursuing knowledge for knowledge's sake, but like, are we seeing the heart of God and is it yeah, transforming, transforming us from the inside out as we're going through this? Yeah, for sure. Like, I'm not trying to go through this like this project we're doing of going through the whole Bible book by book and stuff, I'm not trying to find life or find new answers. Like, I already know that, like, all that stuff is in Jesus. Yeah. If, if so you have Jesus, talk- it's enough. We're, yeah. like, this is a supplement yeah. to... And it's to the- partly just, like, for the, like, literature aspect to understand this, like, collection of books that lead to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Because it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, like, I... 
I make fun of the Enneagram a lot that I'm a Enneagram five and so like the way that I tick is I like to methodically like pick things apart and see how they work and um like and if we were giving a big book like the Bible and I only read certain sections of it, I feel like I'm missing something. Yeah, for sure. Um so that's kind of the balance and the struggle I have to deal with is realizing that the person of Jesus is enough while also pursuing him through reading the scripture. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of my, my own personal goal for this. So what's your, what's your goal with going through this? I'm just in for the ride, man. I don't really have a goal, uh, you know? Yeah, I, uh, so this whole project, we never really talked about the genesis of this project. <laughs> Oh, so, Genesis, yeah, yeah. So David is a podcast fiend. Well, I do like podcasts. David dabbles in a lot of projects. And so I kind of like half-jokingly brought up this idea for a podcast with him. And he was just like, let's do it. Yeah, and here we are. <laughs> and here we are. We just like busted out. We downloaded the Anchor app and uh, started recording. Yeah, so uh, um, in the next couple months, we're working on a website. We're going to be writing articles. Um just because we are nerds and we like to keep ourselves busy with little tinkering projects. So might turn into a print run on Kickstarter one day. Um, we're not looking to make a lot of money off of it. I think it'd just be something cool to put out. Yeah, and, yeah. And so, uh, yeah, follow us on Instagram. We've created an Instagram, Caffeinated Theology. Just type that in. You'll find it. Yeah. All right, so next week we're going to be um, talking about the end of the Noah story and the Tower of Babel. And then we're out of the prologue. Wow, crazy. It really didn't take that long. No. I love the prologue. It's been fun. All right, fellas and gals. Yep. Hayden signing out. David signing out. See you guys next time. Bye.